Many of our companies, as I mentioned earlier, have been engaged in DEI efforts for quite some time, for years. And so these efforts really aren't new, but what we're seeing is that there is a different level of intentionality that is really being placed around these efforts. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. EEI member companies are committed to advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, in their companies and in the communities they are proud to serve. In late 2020, EEI launched an industry-wide DEI initiative to identify and build on programs that are already underway at electric companies across the country. Last year, we announced that the initiative already had 100% member company participation, with each member company taking meaningful actions to promote workforce development and DEI priorities. Our guests today are EEI's Chief Human Resources Officer Courtney Peterson and Todd Manuel, EEI Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Transformation. We'll talk to them today about the industry-wide commitment programs underway at electric companies, how electric companies can promote more equitable practices, and more. Courtney and Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. So I mentioned that the DEI commitment for EEI has 100% participation among member companies, and each member company had to take three new or enhanced actions to meet their DEI commitments as part of this new initiative. Can you talk about some of the recommended goals of these actions? And we'll start with you, Todd. Sure, Brian. We really recognize, Brian, that as an industry, we, we really must hold our leadership accountable to grow cultural competencies within our organization. And so EEI and our member companies also recognize that we must better engage and support underrepresented groups within our workforce and, com- and communities. So what we've done is we've established really four broad goals that help us to achieve Uh, the outcomes that we would like to see across our industry. And those broad goals are one, to make sure that diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts are driven from the very tops of our organizations. Um, Number two, we're making sure that we are removing barriers to entry by really expanding and broadening the pool of diverse candidates that can enter into our workforces. Number three, we're working really hard to establish stronger community connections And then four, we're working to establish infrastructure and training programs that really allow individuals to enter into our workforce. And so to that end, we're continuing to build upon existing program that has existed within many of our member companies for quite some time now. And we really see this as as a synergy between our overall workforce efforts and our DEI efforts. And for Courtney, What does it mean to have 100% participation for member companies? And what does that really mean for the industry? I think it's an important moment. Um, Seeing that kind of commitment across the industry means that we are in lockstep headed towards a common goal, and it means that we can move the needle forward. So I think that that 100% participation from EEI member companies is critical. I think it's necessary, and I think it's something to be celebrated, yet we still have so much more work to do. And for EEI, are these goals that we're working toward as well? Absolutely. And there are a number of initiatives on the internal EEI side as the CHRO for for this organization that we're working on related to DE&I as well. And so there's certainly alignment to that end. 
Now, Todd, before joining EEI, you also had industry experience as well. So what are some examples that you've seen of electric companies expanding or what they've done to create new programs to create more diverse workforces or really to help identify some of those barriers to entry that you can mention? Sure. There are a number of things that are happening across the industry, Brian. Many of our companies, as I mentioned earlier, have been engaged in DEI efforts for quite some time, for years. And so these efforts really aren't new. But what we're seeing is that there is a different level of intentionality that is really being placed around these efforts. And I'll give you a few examples. So one example that comes to mind is DTE Energy. DTE uh, launched a tree trimming program within inner city Detroit. Um, And what's really unique about this program is that it is in the inner city. It uh, It is in partnership with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. It's also in partnership with a local grassroots organization called Focus Hope uh, that focuses on things like racial and social justice. Uh, But one of the things that is really, really interesting is that they have really taken efforts to include what I consider to be wraparound services in in this body of work. And what that looks like is they're, they've included things like childcare and transportation. There's even paid training as folks are going through this program. And what we're really seeing is that because these wraparound services are there, it's really creating opportunities for others, for folks that, that otherwise would not be able to participate in these programs because they don't have things like childcare and, and transportation. Another example that comes to mind is the work that one of our other members, uh, Dominion Energy, is engaged in. Dominion Energy has a really cool partnership with Virginia Commonwealth University. And as part of that program, they they are really working very hard to create pathways for individuals with cognitive disabilities to enter into their workforce. So there's a variety of things that are happening across our industry. Really, really excited to see some of these programs take shape. And, and there's much more that's on the horizon. And Courtney, you bring an interesting perspective because you've worked in the field for a variety of different types of organizations. So what are some recommendations for electric companies to create more equitable hiring practices and application processes? Thanks, Brian. I, I think that there is a lot that can be focused on relative to reducing um, bias in the hiring process. There's a lot of research that shows that the hiring process can be biased and unfair. And so bias has an an impact on our judgment because we have human brains and we can easily be making decisions in favor of one person or group of people um, in favor of another person or a group of people. And and those can be subjective decisions. And so people in positions to do hiring within our organizations need to employ strategies to reduce and strip away bias from the hiring practices and procedures. And there are a number of different things that that can be done. And so there's training that can be provided to create additional deeper self-awareness around bias um, and to be aware of how bias shows up in the hiring process. So for example, when you think about first impressions, they're generally made within the first 10 seconds of meeting someone. And so being mindful that inherently we choose to, if we like someone within the first 10 seconds of meeting them and that that bias could play itself out in how we're making a hiring decision that can be coloring our impressions of someone throughout an interview process. So the likability bias is a real thing. Uh, Another common bias that shows up in the hiring process is, is the similar to me bias, which 
suggests that you have a bias in favor of a person who has had a similar life experience as you. I often use this example when I'm training managers on reducing bias in the hiring process of uh, university affiliation. So I went to the University of Pittsburgh. I see a resume with University of Pittsburgh. I instantly get excited um, to see a resume of a fellow Pitt grad. And so is that impacting me, um, a bias in favor of that person? So I have to check that bias and have to make sure I'm not favoring that candidate over another candidate because of the similar to me bias. I think that um, there are a number of well-established tools and research done around this topic. And so organizations can access some things that are out there that are already fantastic. Harvard University has done a lot of great work around this topic. They have a tool called the Implicit Association Test. And that test measures the strength of our associations between certain concepts and how we evaluate them as good or bad or certain stereotypes that we hold towards certain people. Um, and so it's important that you use those kind of tools and, and you train people in how to conduct a hiring process. Because again, to have a human brain is to have bias. And so the goal within organizations is to begin to spark internal conversations about bias and to help create strategies to remedy that and help minimize them. So when companies do bring on new hires and get them set up and established, we know that keeping them is actually a challenge. Every day you see a new article about the great resignation that's going on as people adjust to pandemic life. So what are some ways that companies in our industry and, and other industries can create an environment that employees will want to stay and grow in? I think you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the notion of creating an environment. Um, because so much of this boils down to what is necessary to retain employees and retain talent. It has to do with how employees are experiencing the work environment. It's really key. And so employers who want to be employers of choice and retain talent are mindful of the employee experience. And so this, this involves being intentional about the workplace culture that's being created, um, striving towards creating a sense of belonging for all employees ensuring that employees have psychological safety within the workplace. And I also think that from an HR standpoint, having consistent strategies in place for employee engagement, whether it's using tools like employee surveys, focus groups, you know, coffee and conversations with, uh, with leaders so that employees can engage, share feedback, get a sense as to what other employees are experiencing. That's all critical for the employee experience. So to that end, I, I think that there are a number of things that, that, uh, companies can do, but I think it all requires being intentional, which is something that, that Todd mentioned earlier as well. And I think with that also includes the intentional development of capable and competent and caring leaders. And it becomes so critical because so much of the employee experience is shaped by the contact that the individual has with the direct supervisor. So I urge organizations to invest in the development of their people, managers, and, and never view that work as being done. And finally, I would say that being able to provide opportunities for growth for employees in ways that align with what makes sense for that person. Not every person has the goal of, of being in the C-suite one day, but my decades in HR have certainly shown me that employees do want growth and support. They want to know that their managers and leaders care. They want to be listened to, and they want to have their feedback incorporated into decision-making. And one follow-up, Courtney, since you joined DEI over the past year at a time when we mostly were remote due to the pandemic, what is it like when you're trying to recruit and onboard these new employees in a virtual environment? 
I think that I think the theme that we're, we're seeing across the conversation is this intentionality, right? And so the, the idea of structuring an interview process in a way that feels consistent and connected. I personally interviewed for my position at EEI virtually as well, um, had an opportunity to come in and meet a few folks, but it was a very brief visit with all COVID mitigation in place. But I think being intentional about structuring an interview process um, that allows the organization to get to know the person and vice versa. And that requires someone putting thought into it and being careful um, and caring about what that experience is going to feel like for the for the candidate. And that also moves into the onboarding process as well, which should be intentionally crafted, include opportunities for people to be mentored and be supported through um, their beginning months and even first year. I, I view onboarding as a, the whole first year of a new position, um, but to have that support and to feel that connection. And that does require someone being intentional about it. And then there's also looking closely at the language in your job descriptions and job postings, job postings provide the first impression of your organization to the public. And so the words that you choose in those job postings can either invite or discourage applications from certain candidates. And so there may be words in job postings that could feel more sort of traditionally masculine words like competitive or determined, possibly some words that may feel um, traditionally more feminine, like collaborative or cooperative may attract more women than men. And so I encourage companies to try out more neutral language um, and to also explicitly state your company's commitment to diversity and inclusion within job postings and linking to information on your company webpage regarding DE&I initiatives or employee resource groups to really highlight the information around inclusion Another best practice would be to consider um, a strategy called blind resume reviews. And this is where you can actually redact certain demographic information like graduation years or the name of the college or university that someone went to or even their home address. Um, pulling this information out can help pull forward the candidates who have the most applicable skill sets for the job, um, rather than, again, the, the lens of the human bias that can come into play and make certain judgments about resumes based on um, demographic information that could be buried in the resume. And so there are technology and software programs that can help with this, with generating blind resume reviews. But I think that um, either way, it's something that individual organizations have to consider if that's a useful tool for them. But it is something that is sort of an emerging trend um, in HR. And then the last thing I would say is, um, you know, standardizing the actual interview process and experience for all candidates, which includes things like crafting preset interview questions, while still allowing flexibility to customize questions based on the unique background of each applicant. I don't recommend winging it in an interview for um, hiring managers and are using your gut as your guide. I think that um, having that preparation of questions is useful because when you just sort of wing it, they can, it can lead to some unreliable um, ability uh, to make decisions that are really based on the needs of the job. So just a few things that I think are, that are HR best practices that could, that could be useful. Thank you, Courtney. And is there anything that you would add, Todd? Yeah, a couple of things I'd add to that, Brian. One of the things that we're seeing within uh, across the industry, actually, is that many of our companies are doing now what's called uh, inclusive climate uh, reporting. And so our organizations are measuring the inclusiveness within their organizations. And what we're beginning to see is a lot more transparency in terms of reporting out what that inclusive climate looks like. And so that will have the effect of building trust in employees, building more engagement in employees. And it's just another way for us to 
to really make sure that we're creating the types of environments within our places of business that allow us to keep the employees that are contributing to our business at a very, very high level. I mean, fortunately, things are trending in the right direction, and we are seeing coworkers more and more these days, but it's definitely a change from prior to the pandemic. Now, one of the values of EI is our ability to convene our member companies and other stakeholders to make sure that we're identifying and discussing a lot of these key issues that are going on. So in that spirit, Todd, can you speak a little bit about EEI's DE&I Executive Advisory Committee and who this group of stakeholders is and what the group is hoping to accomplish? Sure, Brian. So as you mentioned, uh, our efforts at EEI revolve heavily around member engagement. And so our Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Executive Advisory Committee, it is one of the principal forums for discussion and engagement uh, as it relates to our industry's commitment to advance racial and social justice, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, the group is comprised of the senior most diversity, equity, inclusion leaders from across the industry. And we really bring that group together uh, because they have the ability to really provide the kind of thought leadership and strategic direction that we're really looking for when we think about the, the, the industry-wide commitment that we spoke about earlier and some of the other activities that we would like to see uh, in progress as we move forward. Uh, when I think about what's ahead, as we move forward, our our executive advisory committee will continue to work to ensure that we are advancing our industry-wide commitment to racial and social justice and diversity, equity, inclusion, making sure that we're really uh, supporting that and standing those efforts up in our member organizations. We talked earlier about our overall workforce diversity efforts, and we gave a few examples of what a couple of our member companies are doing. So our EAC will continue to support those particular efforts. Uh, but we'll also make sure that that particular group is helping to advance best practices across the industry. And what I mean by that is uh, making sure that our industry best practices are known to all members and that opportunities to scale those best practices are available to all members. And so when I, when I think about these efforts, it really does no good for, for someone to sort of hold the candle, but cover it with your hand, if you will, right? We want to make sure that we're removing the hand and we're letting that light shine so that everyone gets the light. And so that's really what this group is about. It's about sharing those best practices, scaling those best practices so that we can have them in each and every corner of our industry. And since EEI launched its DE&I initiative in late 2020, Todd, have you seen momentum continue to grow? Absolutely, uh, Brian. Um, I will tell you that when we look at the, the overall goals that we have uh, across the industry, I think you mentioned it at the top of the conversation that we have 100% participation by members around these goals and all of them are standing up efforts uh, to, to move these forward. Uh, when we started this process, we really asked our members, hey, can you identify three activities that you would really like to engage in that makes sense for your business to help us drive these industry-wide goals. And what we saw was uh, a majority of our, of our uh, members uh, adopted as many as five or more actions that they were willing to take to really drive home our, our commitment to racial and social justice and diversity, equity, inclusion. So these efforts are, are 
are, are really taking root across our industry. And as I mentioned, there's a lot more to come and we're really excited about the possibilities. Another example of how we're actually creating best practices and scaling them, Brian, is that we've created a webinar series for our member companies. And every month we showcase a different topic in the DEI space. Uh, we talk about things such as uh, disability inclusion. We talk about infrastructure academies that our members are standing up. A whole host of issues that really drive at some of these goals that we're trying to advance as an industry. And that has been a wonderful experience in terms of the type of engagement that we like to see from our members, as well as creating the types of conversations that, as I mentioned before, will really allow our members to scale some of these best practices that we're seeing happen across the industry. Well, I think it's fair to say there is good work underway, but we all recognize there's still a lot of work to do. So thank you both for your leadership on these issues and for making some time for us today to discuss all that EI and our member companies are working on. Absolutely. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for having us, Brian. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.